You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. What's going on, Grump? It's time to wash away last weekend and start looking forward to one of our big rivalry games, the Dallas Cowboys, the mm-hmm. evil, hated Dallas Cowboys. Wash away is the perfect analogy there. Is we've been just nothing but rain uh, since the Jacksonville game. Uh, a little, little bit of interesting thing here. Uh, I saw Dan Duggan made a tweet about the Dallas Cowboys and the rivalry there, and according to him... Uh, there was no specified metric, but he said, among younger fans, the Eagles are more hated, and among the older fans, the Cowboys are more hated. Do you have a one that you hate more than the other? I hate all three teams in the NFC East equally the same. Okay. I, I could definitely see how that shift in the rivalry has changed because, let's be very honest, the Cowboys have been irrelevant for 20 years. Yeah. And older, um, I'm assuming older meaning... The cranky fans' age and not the grumps' age, you know, they grew up in a time when the New York football giants were even more irrelevant. You know, people my age grew up having their two local teams being terrible, so and they didn't have NFL ticket back then, so you had every week you always had the Cowboys and the Steelers on in addition to the two local teams. They were always on Monday night, they were always on the game of the week, you know, so there, if you go to a giant cowboy game in the Meadowlands, you will see a lot of guys my age that are cowboy fans. You'll still see some younger guys because it is a bandwagon, you know, hip team to be a bandwagon team. They're they're in the same ballpark as being a Lebr- LeBron James fan or being a Yankee fan or being, you know, a, a team like that. But I could definitely see as the years pass and Dallas continues to be pretty irrelevant. You know that rivalry with the Eagles, and, and quite honestly, it's a it's a quick train ride up. It's a quick, you know, shot up the New Jersey Turnpike. So you're going to get that natural geographic rivalry in, in addition to, you know, playing each other twice a year. Yeah, I um, I hate all three NFC East teams pretty equally. Uh, the Eagles are easier for me to hate because the fans are easier for me to hate. And, yeah. you know, we could talk all day about Cowboys fans, but to me, they're largely a joke. Uh, most of them yeah, don't yeah. know the first thing about football. They've never set foot outside of the state of New Jersey or New York. Um, the Eagles fans, though, man, I mean, I live with them. They're, they're like you said, they're a train ride away. And, you know, it's Philly everything. Everything yeah. Philly. The Phillies, the Flyers, yeah, Eagles. Yeah. And in a way, though, I kind of respect that a little bit because they – you know, when things are bad, they really hate their team. When things are good, they only mildly hate their team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't call them bandwagoners. And they're no. in a situation where everybody, they have one of each. You know, you're all a Philly fan. You're all a Flyer fan. There's none of this. Where you, Are you a Jet or Giant fan? Most people from Philly, who live in Philly, are from Philly. Mm-hmm. It's not like New York, where you have people who come from everywhere. You're pretty much a Philadelphian for life. And... If you travel around the country, you know, I lived in Tampa for quite a while 
when the Eagles played the Bucks, or you know during that World Series in 2008 when the the Phillies played my Rays, the people that were Philly fans are from Philadelphia. There's no bandwagony. The rest of the city, the rest of the country hates that city and hates their people. So they kind of have an us versus the world mentality because if you're not from there, they hate your guts. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, the reason why Cowboys fans to me aren't any sort of nuisance is because they're a joke to me. I mean, the, you know, yeah. the Cowboys are terrible the last couple of years. They vanished from the face of the earth. They're not that yeah. into football where they care. Um, they're just ready to be amped up when they are relevant, like in, say, 2016 it's, it's or like something that, like that. It's like that bully syndrome. Like they, It's something where if you're a bully for things – and your team is good. That's where you can kind of like show how big your crank is or something. Just, you know, <laughs> it's a mod, it's a macho thing. You know, they'll, you know, they've been terrible. And then three years ago, they were really good all of a sudden. And out of nowhere, all the Emmett jerseys popped up and all the, you know, mm. all the, the old time jerseys. But you can't take a team seriously when they're terrible. They're nowhere to be found. And um, we've seen it. At the Meadowlands in the last 10, 15 years, you know, they, it wanes whether they're, you know, they're good or they're bad, whether their fans show up or not in, in full bandwagon mode. And, and to their credit, like you said, whether or not the Giants or Eagles are good, I mean, there's been a couple of years in the last 10 years where we've seen that both teams are really bad. That is my least favorite crowd to be in. I can't stand being around Eagles fans. I just want to throttle them. Uh, I've, I've been to the link twice in my days and very, very fortunately, uh, I was given club seats and it was very sheltered from the, you know, the South Philly mob and the masses. So I, I, I had a actually pretty good experience there. I, I obviously, I went incognito. I didn't wear my Sims jersey or anything, but, um, I've heard some horror stories and, you know, there are stories of when they had the, um, Winter Classic in hockey, where they beat the shit out of some Ranger fans in front of, in front of Pat's steak, uh, cheesesteak place. I mean, they're they're just animals down there, and don't think you're cute going down there and talking shit to them because they will beat the hell out of you. Well, thankfully, it's not Eagles Hate Week; it's the Dallas Hate Week. <laughs> so, um, of course, the NFL spared us all the Week One Sunday night game in Dallas, and they moved it to the Week Two Sunday night game in Dallas. Um, I have no problem with that, by the way, Grump, because no, I think okay. a, lot of people, a lot of people always bitch and moan, oh, we always start in Dallas week one, or it's always a primetime game. Look, these are two of the five marquee teams in this league, whether they're good or bad. They draw eyeballs. And now that we have guys like Odell Beckham and Squam Barkley, we are going to be in that inner circle of primetime games. So the game is at night or in the daytime is kind of irrelevant. Um, I honestly kind of like nighttime away games because I can do stuff on Sundays. You <laughs> don't have to, you know, sit around all day waiting for it. Um, but honestly, I prefer playing them at, on the road early in the season like this. You get it out of the way. You know, the, we've talked about this the last several weeks that we feel the first couple of weeks are extensions of preseason anyway. And it's a game, you know, if you're the away team, you could steal a road win. There's a lot of times you see a team getting on a run that like, oh, shit, I don't want to play in Dallas at week 13 or something or, you know, a critical week 15 game to make the playoffs. I like to have that game done and taken care of. But those fuckers come to the Meadowlands and have to win a game. So 
I personally prefer this. Like, get it out of the way. Let's play him now. And, you know, while we're as close to full strength as we can be. I agree with everything you just said, but none of that means it has to be week one in Dallas Sunday night. So it's always NBC, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth in Dallas week one. I mean, like, it could be week two. It could be week three. You know, yeah. it could be Monday night game. I don't fucking care. I just, I, I can't stand the. I don't want to go off on a thing about Al Michaels, but, you know, I, I understand people's frustrations with it. I do understand that it's a primetime matchup, that it's one that people like to watch, and therefore the NFL likes to get it up there, you know, as part of that weekend kickoff thing. I get it. Yeah, I mean, you, you could be the opposite. You could be the alternative, which is being like a Bucks fan who always bitches and moans and never on prime time. Yeah. No one respects us. No one cares about us. Well, guess what? We're the New York football giants. We are going to be everything we do is a much bigger deal for right or wrong, fair or unfair. And when we play the Cowboys, it's a big deal. So we'll deal with Al Michaels. We'll deal with the fact that Chris Collinsworth is going to spend three hours blasting Eric Flowers. You know that's happening. So you know, when these guys get a little – at least we don't have John Gruden who would be blasting him for 12 hours yeah. anymore. <laughs> well um... – so, in in this game coming up, we're gonna see a lot of uh, what we saw last week. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are sort of like Jacksonville light, don't you think? They have a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses as the Jaguars, but they're not quite as good. Agreed. Uh, huh. From the from the defensive line and from what they try to do with their offense and stuff, I could definitely see that. But just you know, not as good versions right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a severe lack of weapons, uh, you know, in receiver and in the defensive backfield. Uh, they have excellent linebackers. They have um, a stout run-stopping defensive line uh, and a great defensive coordinator. You know, we all know about what their offensive line does and what they have with Ezekiel Elliott, who is the prime and only, you know, weapon on offense. And then if you flip that to Jacksonville, Leonard Fournette, pretty much the only weapon on offense, not a lot of wide receiver help. The quarterbacks are pretty similar, limited in what they can do throwing the ball but have plus mobility uh, and a great running game and offensive line to help them out defensively excellent you know defensive line defensive secondary not so much uh, you know it's a lot of the same but Jacksonville's better in every single one of those categories yeah so the big difference with being we are playing in front of 90,000 people in Arlington as opposed to the friendly confines of the Meadowlands so yeah. that's, a, that's a factor too it is Question for you, Grump. Yeah. Um, where do you, in the grand scheme of things, where do you see this week two? Uh, you know, if we lose, we're zero and two. Are you ready to say that this season could be potentially circling down the drain already, or do you, you know, you know, we'd be zero and two with a division loss, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a very rough stretch coming up in the schedule. How important is this win, you know, for salvaging what this season can be? You know, our hope for being trying to catch Philly or trying to be a strong wild card. Well, I think what's your, what's your panic level at this moment? Me personally, my panic level is, uh, you know, low 5%. And I'll say why, uh, I'm re I'm a realist. We, we've discussed this all off season, you know, eight and eight after last year, it's a big step. Um, and you know what, quite frankly, how important is this win? Well, it's the first win it will be the first win that felt like a legitimate win in that they're not – it's not season garbage time. Do you know what I mean? Like 
at last yeah. year, you know, that first win was at Denver. You know, by then they were already like 0 and 6 or something. It was, you know, it was season garbage time. It didn't matter anymore. Right. Um, you know, those wins in Kansas City in overtime or you know, against Kansas City overtime. I don't even remember what the other win was. Washington. Washington cuz Indianapolis lost as well to or won as well to secure the number 2 spot. That's correct. So this first win will be the will feel to Giants fans and holdovers from last year like the first legitimate win that they've had. Uh those ones last year they don't count. It, it, it's all garbage time. So is it important? It's absolutely important. Um you know, the season going down the drain if they lose you know, it depends on what your expectations are for this year. Like I said, I'm a realist, so I expect eight and eight to be a huge improvement. Being a 500 team is being competitive. Eight and eight can and has gotten teams into the playoffs. You know, just because it doesn't doesn't mean that it's not a significant step in the right direction. Uh, and we've talked about what the beginning of this season is. It's <laughs> it's front loaded with with tough games. So. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to panic. Are the fa- Is the fan base going to panic? Probably. Is the media going to probably, you know, fan the flames of that? Probably also. Um, the, the real question is going to be how the organization, what goes on in the locker room, what the coaching staff does, if they get caught in a panic. And I can't tell you what's going to happen there. Yeah, you know, people who follow this show know I do a companion podcast called Mark and the Cranky Fan where – we talk about Florida Gator football, and I swear to God, I am living two parallel lives where what's going on down in Gainesville is exactly the same what's going on in East Rutherford. We have two teams where they are in need of a culture change as well as a roster overhaul. You need to increase talent. And this year for both teams, the goal for me is to start by building with a new coaching staff a new culture. I think the McAdoo administration was so bad and, and wrecked the culture of this team so much that, you know, by the time you got to the things where we're benching Eli for Geno Smith to play, that's not giant culture. And, you know, we're hoping with this current coaching staff and with Dave Gettleman that we are rebuilding a culture of winning and sustainable winning. Um, so, like you, I don't even think about the playoffs this year. So, a lot of it. Stuff happen has to happen like almost like in a, a silo, so you don't hear all the noise, the background noise. We heard on the on the train coming back from the Meadowlands on Sunday the people how pissed off they were, how you know, cut Eric Flowers. I don't care who the next guy is, give him a chance. Uh, cut Evan Ingram because he can't catch. Oof, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, it's just like you. This fan base really doesn't quite get it yet that. This team needs a complete overhaul from the top down from a culture standpoint. Maybe not as much of a roster overhaul as my Gators do, but there are definitely – there are very top-heavy in some talent, but the meat and the guts of this team have to be rebuilt, and you have to keep all these things in mind. The pixie dust is not happening, and I've used that term Four times this week on different podcasts and different things where, you know, these coaches aren't just coming in all of a sudden saying, oh, I'm here. Here, let me wave this wand. And all of a sudden the offensive line is good. And, you know, the you know, the depth problems in the, in the secondary are gone. And that's not the way it works. Not in the NFL. So, uh, 
what does this all mean? Watch each game this year, and starting with this Dallas one, and see the incremental changes. Are we playing more as a cohesive team? Are we getting rid of some of the stupid mistakes? Are guys starting to emerge? Are there obvious changes that need to be made that can be made this year? Some changes are just not going to happen until the offseason. Eric Flowers is here to stay, guys. We all don't want him on this roster, but you do not want a you know a, an undrafted free agent who can't play taking over because this team is bet on Eli Manning, and we need to keep him alive. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, this game is going to be a chance to see where the improvements are. Like I said, this is Jacksonville light. Like training with weights, if you're if you're doing like a marathon run with like ankle weights, and then coming time for the actual marathon, taking the ankle weights off and going for the run. Uh, you know, playing against Jacksonville is the elite defensive line, uh, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, the elite offensive line. Now you're playing Dallas with not as good of a defensive line. Their offensive line might be better at full strength, but that's not where they are. So if no, we can see an, an, an increase in what we see on the field from week one to week two, we'll see, you know, an improvement there. And, and the, you know, there's some confidence in that too. Uh, you know, guys will play a little bit more loose knowing that they are doing well versus last week it was a little, you know, first game back, jitters, you know, a little rust, uh, then starting to get beat early. Um, it's, a whole, it's a whole new defense we're playing too. I mean, yep. let's not forget that. You're playing a whole different scheme with a whole new defensive coordinator. You know, guys are being shuffled into the ro- the rotation who were off the street a week ago. You know, it's it's still – you know, that gelling period is going to take some time and people to start playing instinctively as opposed to trying to figure out where they're supposed to be. It doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, the defense actually played pretty decently last week. You know, it's the question is going to be the systemic problems we've seen on the offensive side. Yeah, and just real quick, I just want to go through what the defense is going to see on the offensive line. Uh, Travis Frederick is out, uh, unfortunately, is an incredibly... I don't know if it's incredibly, but it's a rare cancer, I believe. Yeah. He's out, and that's that's really unfortunate. But in terms of what we're talking about for this game, that's a huge blow to Dallas's offensive line. Uh, you know, right in the middle, the center uh, is now Joe Looney. So you don't know that name? There's a reason why you don't know that name. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and that's, that's a really big, important piece. You know, Lyle Collins at right tackle has not played – really all that well and Connor Williams is a rookie playing left guard that's three pieces of what was once you know the best five in football maybe not anymore yeah exactly and especially now that you know you don't have a, a, a Jason Witten anymore yeah you don't have a Des Bryant anymore so all of a sudden it becomes you know, Cole Beasley and Ezekiel Elliott exactly and we've been you know we've had a pretty good debate on this show about where do we place Dak Prescott you know, in the division and in the league and stuff. And, you know, he doesn't have those weapons anymore. You make this team even more one-dimensional. That's going to make him a lot less effective no matter how good or bad he is. So you know, this might be one of the things we're catching, like I said, Dallas at the right time of the year where they're still trying to figure out their their uh, pieces on the chessboard and what they can do. So, Yeah, and if, if you flip it over to the 
defensive line, Dayton Jones is, was limited with a knee injury. You know, maybe he's not going to be 100% come Sunday night. Randy Gregory is still in the concussion protocol, as far as I know, which means he's out, right? I mean, if you we have, don't, a, we don't know, we don't know what his story is. Yeah. Um. So if he doesn't get out of the protocol by Friday, I'm not sure that he can even play. I don't believe so. I think there's a limit when you have to get out of it. So, you know, that, that's two significant hits onto the uh, defensive line there. Uh, you know, of course, like I said, this is still a very good defense. Demarcus Lawrence is playing outside of his mind. Melee Collins, uh, Crawford. I mean, there's they're still talented pieces there. But is it Calais Campbell and, you know, Ngakwe? Definitely not. No, no. Uh, so th- this is a chance for, you know... For a three and thirteen team to come play Jacksonville first game of the season is quite the test. Um, it's a little bit like taking your SATs before, you know, just a simple math test. But here's the thing, though. You know, the more I think about that game Sunday, I've been hearing it over and over again. Well, it's Jacksonville, you know, it's Jacksonville. But oh, it's not an excuse. The, but a lot of the things I saw that kind of disappointed me on Sunday were kind of like self-inflicted, as opposed to Jacksonville. You know said before about Evan Ingram those drops yeah those are on him and that's a, that's a continuation of what we saw last year with him uh you know the poor technique of an Eric Flowers you know we've seen that against good and bad uh defensive lines um you know Eli missed Odell Beckham in that one deep ball again those are things that you know a lot of why you know we I think we we probably lost as kind of as much as self-inflicted as opposed to playing a great team. So I was kind of in one way I felt kind of good the way we played against Jacksonville, but I feel a lot of the some of the things that need to be cleaned up on this team that can make us beat a team like Jacksonville still are on the table and have to be fixed. Well, I mean, yes, of course, but uh, there's so many factors. Uh, you know, it's week one. They're, yeah. They're, the, the, like, did that, you feel the like missed deep throw? I mean, does that sound like Eli Manning, or does that sound like Week One? Does it sound like it was raining? Does it sound right. like Week One? I mean, there's there's so many things. But my my point being though, that wasn't a Jacksonville inflicted thing, like saying, "Well, they're just so great." Well, no, so, but I mean, when you're playing against a really good team, um, those opportunities come few and far between. When you're playing against a weaker opponent, or if you're a little bit more evenly matched, yeah, maybe Eli overshoots Beckham on one play, and then. He gets another opportunity at that deep ball later in the game. That's true. Um, you know, and then you sort of forget about that because it's not what could have been there. It's sort of, well, we missed him, but he made guess, up for it later. Yeah, I guess my point being is I didn't feel like we were, we shouldn't have been on the same field as Jacksonville in that game. No. I mean, they were better than us, but I didn't, I didn't feel like there was such a huge disparity of talent between them and us, the way the game played for 60 minutes. Like, yeah, they got theirs and, you know, but I, I didn't feel like this is like an uphill battle that we're never going to win this game. It's only a matter of time. Which I no, think not, not when we watched it, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's sometimes when you see us play somebody and you're like, oh boy, we're going to get the holy hell beat out of us in this game. And that's encouraging for a week one with sure. a new staff and all the turnover. So, you know, on this path of Dallas being Jacksonville light, um, when I went through what the keys to winning this game were, I literally just changed names on what I had written. You know, <laughs> stop Fournette and force uh, Bortles to throw 
downfield and keep everything short of the sticks simply becomes stop Elliott, force Dak to throw downfield and keep everything short of the sticks. I mean, that really is it. It's it's just that. Dak Prescott That's- is not a great quarterback. He's not one who is going to bring his team to victory on the strength of his arm. It's going to be Elliott setting things up. But he's uh, he's he's a better runner than Bortles for sure, and he could be more dangerous in, in that part of the game. So it's something where, you know, we have to wrap up, we have to tackle. We exactly. Have to I mean, sure. wh- we have to we have to play a very sound fundamental game against him because he can make you look bad back there. Even if we have stacked defensive lines and stacked line of scrimmage, he could still cause problems. So I think he's a big he's a different problem than Blake Bortles. We saw Bortles do a lot of RPO and, and stuff Sunday, but this guy's better at it, so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the threat of him running is a little bit more legitimate than Bortles. And of course, I say that on the heels of a forty-yard, fifty-yard gain or something. On, but it happens. I mean, those type of things, those occasional plays do happen. But that type of offense. You make a very good point. But again, the point I'm making when I say stop Elliott is to stop the run. Um, you know, really stop Elliott from being four yards per carry down to like two, one and a half, get some behind the line of scrimmage. Make that RPO just a useless penalty for them. Make Dak have to either scramble for a run or stay in the pocket and deliver a pass, which he's not well, think, very good at doing. I think the thing you hit on is, you know, that one yard play, you gotta get this team in second and nine, second and yeah. ten, second and eleven. If it's second and three, it's an entirely different offense and entirely different things they can do. Oh the whole playbook's can- open on second and three. Exactly, but if you're second and eleven, second and nine, you know, it's a you're you're much more in front of the eight ball than you know, especially with a team like this where they're pretty one dimensional and you know what they're going to do. Yeah, and and really, it's going to be about a gap pressure here. Um, the weakest link on this offensive line, like I said, is going to be Joe Looney in the middle. Uh, snacks, that's that's a win right there, no question, but. Right. Where it comes in handy is when uh, Dak Prescott has no idea what to do or what's coming until it's too late. So confusing him with A-gap pressure from Goodson and Ogletree or whoever they decide to line up there. I mean, we've seen Kerry Wynn line up there. Kareem Martin lined up there last week a couple times, got some pressure up the middle. Getting Prescott to panic is really what you want to do. I mean, We know that Snacks is going to win that one-on-one, and I think mm-hmm. that – Dallas knows he's going to win that one-on-one, so they're going to scheme to take that away. Now, what they choose to do when they scheme to take out snacks is where you win this game. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And it's now you're having a question of coaching. Who's the better coach? And, you know. I would hope. (laughs) (laughs) For God's sakes. (laughs) Um. If if we if we mess that one up in this offseason, get ready for a couple of years that you don't want to remember. Exactly. If we if we could say that uh, we were outcoached by Jason Garrett and that, that coaching staff. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, offensively, I think it goes back to again what we tried to do against Jacksonville. Uh, you're gonna want to use screens, use play action, and high tempo. Uh, you, you're gonna want to. Make the Dallas pass rush slow down. Think twice. Look, it's no secret. Demarcus Lawrence is lining up against Eric Flowers. They're gonna do it, um, and you can't line up, you know, Chad Wheeler as a jumbo tight end and Rhett Ellison over there with a back chipping on every single play. 
So they're right. going to have to figure out other ways to make that not a factor. They're going to have to punish DeMarcus Lawrence for using speed or power. They're going to have to make him mind his gaps. Uh, and the way to do that is things like screen passes, play action, yeah. high tempo. Something we didn't see as much as we thought we saw in week one. And maybe yeah. maybe it's possible they were <laughs> holding something back for the Dallas game. I don't know. But I, I thought we'd see a lot more of those little screens, those little quick little floaty screens or something right over someone and uh, to Barkley. So maybe I mean, we, we saw see plenty of the play action, and I think that the play action tended to work, and they stretched the right. field downfield. You know, I still think that's going to happen. I thought the tempo was going to work, and, you know, frankly, when you're on the road, I think high tempo does a lot to really suck the crowd out of a game. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. So, whereas, you know, I don't want to speak to the ignorance of the MetLife crowd, but, you know, when you're on offense, shut the hell up. Yeah, everybody, shut the fuck up, please. I mean— <laughs> Seriously. When it's fourth and goal and you're going for it, don't I make get noise. It. I get it you're excited that we're going for it, but you know, <laughs> just keep it to a dull roar until after the play because it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I, I don't I, I don't understand it. <laughs> We've seen it for years. But yeah. on the flip side, it really, really sucks the life. It you know, takes out of you as a fan. You don't want to make noise all the time when it's not working. You're just disappointed in your team. Right, right. Now we don't know if the roof is going to be open or closed Sunday night, so that impacts, you know, how hot it's going to be in the building, humidity and stuff. So something else to factor in. Also, winning time of possession will be important. Having a running game that we can move chains, keep their defense on the field longer, let them let them tire down. Oh yeah, yeah. And to me, that's those are the keys right there. Um, the only other matchup I can think of that might be something interesting to watch would be, you know. Chidobia Woozy is probably going to be the one drawing Beckham. I mean, there's likely going to be safety help at the very least, but that's the only other thing that's to see. That's a marked difference from Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I was not very high on Chidobia Woozy coming out of college. Uh, I thought that he didn't look all that great, but, you know, Dallas thought he was great. I definitely want to see, when we alluded to it before, I want to see Evan Ingram step up his game a little bit today, mm-hmm. or uh, this coming Sunday. Um, he now has 12 drop passes in his 17 games. That's a that's a high number. And we're relying on him to kind of be the de facto third receiver on this team. Also want to see more from Lattimore, too. Did it, I think we, did we target him one time last week? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I mean, if we have, you know, again, this goes back to what we always talk about during preseason, how we're always worrying about who's going to be the fourth receiver, and we get to regular season, and the third receiver doesn't even get a, a target. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think this offense has to be more than the the Beckham, Barkley, and the Sterling Shepard show. You know, I'm not saying we have to go throw it to 12 different receivers each week, but you know, the threat of a Cody Latimer is very important. You know, he needs to be... He needs to get a couple of targets. Yeah. Keep the, keep the defense honest. And I, I'm i not sure if w- which preseason game it was, but I think it was the oh, I think it was the Detroit game where he had that huge gainer right away. I think it was the Detroit game. I yeah. think everything clicked that day, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just stretching the field. Even if he doesn't score, even if he doesn't catch it, just making them keep somebody deep. Just in case, yeah, that's an impact on the game. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's your prediction here? I'm going to put this one as a win in pencil. 
I again I was encouraged by what I saw last week defensively. Um I I think this coaching staff now has enough about you know the right side of this line that they can have, they'll have to scheme around it more. I think kind of it's tough to tell during preseason what exactly you have when you see after 60 minutes and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but flowers, I thought and the right side played better in the second half than they did in the first half. The first half was a complete disaster. Um, second half, I don't think was as bad as the first half. So maybe it's something to build off a little bit, but uh, I think this Dallas team is terrible. I, I think they have the potential to be the three and 13 that we were last year. They just simply don't have any weapons, you know, and, they're going to have to plot along to score points. They don't have the kicker they did last year to make the field shorter than it was last year. Um, I think this is a game that we can go in and we can steal. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, something in the effect of 16-10. But I think we're going to win this one in uh, – I'll put this one in pencil as a win. So just to recap, uh, you had predicted back in June or July, whenever we did it uh, – that this would be a win in pencil. I predicted a win in pen, and I'm I'm still putting it as a win. Um, on the flip side, I think this is going to be a much more high-scoring game. I think the night games tend to do that. They tend to get a little out of control. Um, and I actually think that we jump out quick and by a wide, wide margin. Uh, I, I think that, like you said, there were adjustments made at halftime last week that uh, helped out a lot in what was going on, but there was a huge talent disparity there on the right side of the line. It just is. And there's only so much you can scheme for that. And being already a half behind, they were down 10 points, I think, at halftime. Uh, or maybe almost. Maybe, maybe I don't know, whatever. 7, 10 points, something like that. Um, you know, that that's a foot behind when you're you're already at a uphill battle. So, you know, this week I think they've learned a lot from that. I think they figured some stuff out. And the fact that this is a similar type of matchup with way less talent plays in their favor. They're already, you know, kind of working on the things that they needed to work on. I think the Giants jump out early and I think Dallas starts to score points as this game matters less and less and I think it ends 27-17. Nice. Your lips to the football god's ears. Yeah, right. Um all right, real quick around the week, there's only two other division games since this is a division one, Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. Don't get sucked into the siren call of uh Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know. First of all, fuck you once again, Tampa Bay, for screwing me out of a survivor pick. I, I Really, in the last 15 years, they probably knocked me out of survivor picks seven times. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick has made a career out of looking incredibly amazing, and then you roll with him again, and he looks awful. Um, I can't see Tampa Bay winning this game against Philly. I think Philly rolls. I'm with you there. I think that everything Philly is plays against what Tampa Bay isn't. Um, and Fitzpatrick will be running for his life. It's not exactly something he's great at. Philly wins. Yeah. This might be our overreaction to overreaction Monday, but I think this is a this is a good old-fashioned beating. Yeah. Uh, Washington, Indianapolis. What do you make of Washington after last week, uh, Grump? I think Arizona sucks. <laughs> I I think you're absolutely right. You know, I try to I try to fool myself into the well team going to the West Coast, blah blah blah. But you know, no. Um, I still think that Washington is not a very good team. I need to be proven wrong, and more than just one week against a bad team. 
I think they lose by double digits. Wow. Um, I think yes. Washington wins, but I think it's much closer, and I think we see a lot of what Washington is flawed. Yeah. Um, you know, Indianapolis is an organization that I don't think has been very well run the last five hundred years. years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and they've they've finally gotten the ship pointed in the right direction, but it's not an overnight thing. You know, it, yeah. that sounds familiar, right? Exactly. But I just again, I need to be proven that Washington is anything at this point. So. Yeah, because, oh, uh, I'm with I'm, you. I think this is where the the cracks in the Washington armor are nice and shiny and bright, and we all see them. Yes, I agree. Well, this game is away, and it's a night game, so that means the football grump will be actively tweeting from a bar. Um, so, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> be sure to follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump where I will be bitching and moaning, maybe also keeping it real with some people who might be bitching and moaning more than they should be, and uh, getting excited when, whenever necessary. I've never heard of a tweet getting a breathalyzer test before, so this will be fun. Oh. <laughs> We're getting a little punch drunk here, so <laughs> you have to um, forgive us. As always, the podcast uh, is on iTunes and SoundCloud, where we appreciate all of your reviews and five-star ratings. Thank you very much for all of that. And uh, a quick follow on Twitter at, at JustGiantsPod so that you can – it's easier for you to spread to other followers. Just retweet that. Um, you can find me as always on Twitter at TheCrankyFan. It's a very busy time of year obviously with the Giants and the Gators and my raise 0.02% chance of making the playoffs. So we will be, uh, be tweeting about that. So, And also check out my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan where we discuss the other train wreck in my life, which is the Florida Gator football team. Well, with a pep talk like that, how could you not get excited for something? <laughs> All right, everyone, let's go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.